It's Joshua 3, verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest of the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I want you to read that verse with me, please. Ready? Begin. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tomorrow you would do wonders amongst us. Father, that in the upcoming years for these students, that you would do wonderful things in their ministries. But yet, Lord, we know that if we don't apply the basic truths of your word today, if we don't find ourselves faithful in the basics of the Christian life, soul winning, giving, serving, that we'll never see the great things down the road. So help us today to learn from Joshua's life how to be a faithful minister, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When Israel was set free from Egypt, they journeyed, as you'll recall in the book of Exodus, to the very border of the Promised Land. This took place about 1445 B.C. Moses sent 12 spies into the Promised Land. You heard when you were a child in Sunday school that 10 of the spies came back with a negative report. But there were two that came back and they said, essentially, if God wants us to have this, God can give it to us. What were their names? Joshua and Caleb. Take a note of that. People don't remember the names of complainers. They don't remember the names of people who have no faith. They don't remember the names of people who cannot believe God. But there were two, the Bible tells us, Joshua and Caleb. The Bible tells us, of course, that the children of Israel had at that moment in their lives and in the life of the nation a lapse of faith. And because of these reports and because of this time, they determined that they would not be able to fulfill and to follow God's will for their life. And so, unfortunately, Joshua and Caleb's whole generation wasted 40 years in the wilderness. And, of course, uh, they lost the blessing of God for that period of time. The time comes when Moses dies. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. And Joshua is called to lead these same people, this next generation of the same people, into the promised land. And so when we open up the book of Joshua, we're at now 40 years later, 1405 B.C., and they have another opportunity to enter in to the promised land. By the way, how many of you are thankful for the mercy of God when he gives us another opportunity? And so here they are. And the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 2 that Joshua sent spies into Jericho uh, to spy out the land. And there they met a woman in Joshua chapter 2 whose name was Rahab. And as they met with Rahab, she told them, that they had heard about the God of Israel. They had heard about his might and his power and how he caused the sea to part. And 
uh, she told them regarding the land uh, that she believed uh, that God was able. God had revealed his will to her, and the spies came back with this report. And now the time had come then for Joshua to lead the next generation. I don't want to sound uh, in some way uh, that I'm trying to make this bigger than it is, but may I say to you that one day you're going to hear and you're going to finally realize that some of us have passed off the scene and it's time for you to stop having little discussions and little immature uh, situations. It will be time for you to lead your whole generation into the promises of God. And this is where Joshua found himself. The responsibility had fallen completely to him. Joshua realized Moses was no longer there. He could no longer consult with Moses. He had to learn what it meant to walk with God. And I want you to learn a few things from Joshua's life this morning. I want you to notice, first of all, the pursuit of God's plan. How do you pursue God's plan? Some of you, you know that God's called you to preach. He's called you to be a missionary. He's called you to teach school, to be, to be uh, an evangelist, whatever it is. Some of you are still seeking refinement, but you know that God has called you. How do you pursue the call of God? I want to show you a couple very quick things in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. I want you to see Joshua's anticipation. I want you to see this was a man that rose early. God had spoken, and he was anticipating that God would move. Uh, he believed the word of God for his life. He believed that the victory would come. The Jordan River was at flood level. Uh, it was uh, uh, a situation that only God could provide a crossing for this time. But Joshua believed that God was able. And there will be times in your life when you cannot see how it's going to happen. But like Joshua, you need to raise up early and believe that God is about to do something great in your life. Joshua rose early and Joshua followed in faith. The Bible says that he came down to the Jordan. He immediately came to the place where God was going to do his great work. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I remember the first time we had soul winning, and I'm going to tell you something. When you're running 12 and 20, it takes faith to stand up and say, we're starting soul winning this week. I want you to join me on Tuesday night for soul winning. And uh, if you're not soul winning in college, you're probably not going to lead a church uh, to be involved in soul winning. And, and yet, it was something I knew that God had called us to do. By the way, we don't go soul winning just to build the church. We go soul winning because Jesus said, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. We don't go soul winning because Brother Chapel said. We don't go soul winning because it's a rule. We go soul winning because Jesus said, uh, so send I you. And so I knew that soul winning was what Jesus wanted our church to do. And, uh, and we're not pragmatists. We don't say, well, if it works, we'll try it. If it doesn't, we won't. We're obedient Christians, and we do what God has called us to do. And I stood up on a Sunday night, and I said, we're going to have soul winning this week. And uh, we had uh, soul winning that Tuesday night. I had a lesson. I had a podium. I had my Bible. I stood up, and there was one lady there. And uh, I taught that lesson on how to present the gospel to Charlene Suave. 
and uh, Charlene heard the lesson. I taught for about 20 minutes. I had a couple of cards from visitors from the last Sunday service, and uh, one of them was a lady. And so I, I came around from the little podium there, and I said, now, Charlene, I'm a new pastor. I'm 24 years old. I don't know a lot about being a pastor, and I don't know a lot about soul winning programs, but I figure out this much. We can't go together tonight as a man and a woman going out soul winning together. I said, so here's a call. I want you to go visit this lady, and I'm going to go visit these folks, and then tomorrow night bring the card back and tell me uh, how the response was and so forth. And, and I'm just simply saying that it was by faith we started soul winning. And it wasn't glamorous, and it wasn't something that anybody was going to take note of, except for God in heaven. He takes note of faith. And when I acted in faith, Charlene came. And when we acted in faith, someone else came. And when we acted in faith, some more people came. And hundreds of people are going out soul winning every single week. Why? Because we started by faith. We just got down to the Jordan River. We got up early. We got our stuff ready. We went where God told us to go. You say, what would you have done if nobody was there? I would have gone out soul winning. This is the point of the message. Get where you're supposed to be. Get there early. Believe God is going to do something great with your life and see the great things that he wants to do. Joshua anticipated. And Joshua, I want you to notice secondly his action. The Bible says in verse 1 that he removed from Shittim. Uh, he removed from the place of encampment, the place of security, the place of comfort. Now some of you have done that in coming to Bible college. You, that was your big step of faith, moving away from home. And you've come to the place where you believe God would have you. And that's what it always takes. Moving away from a place of comfort, a place of complacency, a place of callousness perhaps. But uh, God is looking for people who will step out by faith. Now unbelief says, let's go back to where it's comfortable. Let's go back home. Let's call this a day. That's what unbelief says. Unbelief doesn't want to go to the river. Unbelief doesn't want to get up early. Unbelief doesn't believe God's going to do anything anyways. But belief says, let's get down to where God said he's going to do something great. And so he removed himself and he lodged near the Jordan. Now notice that in verse number one. The Bible says he came to the Jordan and he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. Sometimes... We must identify with what we believe God is going to do before he does it. We've got to be willing to get into the proximity of where he's going to bless us. And this is what Joshua did. I think of uh, Philip in Acts chapter 8. The Bible said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to the chariot. And the next verses say, and Philip ran to the chariot. Now we need some young men in this college that are not late to soul winning or skipping soul winning. We need some staff members in this college uh, that are getting down to the place where God can do something, where God can use them. And not just going through the motions and doing about as much as we think we can get done, but saying, look it, I believe God's going to work today. I believe someone's going to get saved today. I believe someone's life is going to be changed today. I'm anticipating that. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to get out soul winning. I'm going to get some gospel tracts in my hand and a burden in my heart, and I'm just believing God is going to do something great in my life today. That is why we remember Joshua's name and Caleb's name, because they were willing to pay the price. And I'm simply saying today, we must anticipate the great blessings of God. Do you anticipate God using you? Do you want God to use your life? Or do you just want a career? Do you just want Pastor Miller to offer you a job with a salary and some benefits? Or do you want to change lives? 
Or do you want to win souls? Because there's plenty of Christian institutions filled with students today who are looking for a job and they're looking for a career, but they're not looking to change their world. And the kinds of people that change their world are the kinds of people that anticipate and believe that God will use them if they will walk in faith. And so I see the pursuit of God's plan. Joshua wasn't just waiting to see what would happen. He was getting to the place, getting where God would use his life. I want you to notice, secondly, this morning, the pattern for God's people. There's a pattern that we must follow in our pursuit of God's plan. And the Bible says in verse 3, And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Now, I want you to notice here that God is very specific in his instruction, and he really always is. Here we see that they were to get down to the river and then they were to keep their eyes focused on the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Bible speaks of this Ark of the Covenant. The Bible tells them in verse 4, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. Now let me tell you something about your life. You're about to experience things that you've not experienced heretofore. You're about to enter in, some of you seniors, into a mission field, into a pastorate, into a place of service. You, you've not been there before. Suddenly you're going to think, I wish I would have listened more in class. and I wish I would have listened more in chapel because it's going to get real. It's going to be perhaps like that Green Beret soldier that has bullets flying at him for the first time and, and, and none of the preparation for that was wasted because now you're entering into the fray of ministry. Now you won't have time uh, necessarily uh, to sit around and just jabber jaw. It's time to be used of the Lord. And this is where Joshua was and the people. And so there was one great example and one great challenge given to them and that was look up to the Ark of the Covenant. And keep your eyes, and don't, don't be too far, don't be too close. There, there, must, there were hundreds of thousands of people, so they needed some little distance to see the Ark of the Covenant. Now we see then here a command in the ministry to focus on Jesus Christ. That if you're going to pursue God's plan, whether it's in Manila, or whether it's in Metro Atlanta, or Los Angeles, wherever it is, that we must keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Ark is referred to 16 times in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. The ark was the place where the glory of God rested. The ark was that which would lead the children of Israel on their journey. It was always placed in the front of the congregation. When they arrived at their destination, it was placed in the middle. And it was a picture and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have studied this before, and I want you just to think this through for a moment. Think about the material of the ark, the acacia wood. It is a picture for us of the humanity of Christ. The gold that uh, was on this acacia wood reminds us of the deity of Jesus Christ. I think of the contents of the ark. I think of the stone tablets of the law, reminding us of the importance of the very word of God. I think of the golden pot of manna, and we're reminded there from John 6 that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. 
I think of Aaron's rod that budded and how uh, this was a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we thank God for his resurrection. And then on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And we know according to the New Testament, Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, that Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He is our mercy seat. And so Jesus Christ became the mercy seat. And the mercy seat, of course, was that place where the high priest would sprinkle the blood on the day of atonement and it was by the blood uh, that remission was made but it is always by the blood that remission is made and that mercy seat pictures for us the Lord Jesus and so the context for us today in the New Testament era is that as we step out by faith we must always keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We must focus on him and we must follow him, verse 4 tells us, uh, that the ark would be about a mile ahead. And the Bible teaches us in Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We must pursue Christ in all that we do. Amy Carmichael said, Blessed are the single-hearted, for they shall enjoy much peace. If you refuse to be hurried and pressed, if you keep your soul on God, nothing can keep you from that clearness of spirit, which is life and peace. In that stillness, you know what his will is, following after the Lord Jesus Christ, following him personally, following him passionately. The Apostle Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. And so I challenge you today to follow the Lord with passion. I want to remind you that so many have in the past. I think of the dark ages, how the Catholic Church repressed the faith and murdered so many Christians. And yet God used men like Peter Waldo and John Wycliffe and John Huss and, and William Tyndale. And he raised them up to be people of faith. And I don't necessarily like it when people focus on, oh, this day in which we live and people don't want to hear the gospel, how bad it is. Look at somebody needs to have the courage of a Joshua to get out soul winning, to get into the pulpit, to get into the study, and to trust God to make a difference no matter what the period of time. I think of China, how that Mao Zedong forced 10,000 missionaries to leave China, and how that during the Boxer Rebellion, hundreds of missionaries were murdered in the early 1900s, and how they thought they would eradicate. Christianity, but by our best estimates, there are between two and four million Christians that are meeting in homes all across China today, uh, trusting the Lord. Between 200 and 400 million Christians trusting the Lord and following after the Lord. I think of the Philippines. In 1521, Ferdinand Magellan came to the Philippines and he dictated that they would become a Catholic people and that no one uh, would escape the sword if they refused Catholicism. And many, many did become Roman Catholic. But I want to tell you something, that some of the greatest and most thriving Baptist churches in the world today are found in the Philippines, and that the Philippines has become perhaps the greatest sending nation of missionaries from their nation to other nations in the world today. Why? Because it doesn't matter where you live, and it doesn't matter what the persecution is. If you will keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and be sensitive for the souls of men, God will always do a great and a mighty work. And I want you to see in Joshua's life, he was pursuing God's plan. I want you to see the pattern that was given that they were to keep their eyes on Jesus Christ. But then notice finally, I want you to see this, the preparation for God's blessing. 
I want you to see verse 5 with me as we close this morning. And I want all of you to realize this is the blessing for your life and mine as well. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Students, God desires vessels through which he may work. We have seen in recent years the proliferation of spurious doctrine. That's nothing new. Just as soon as the canon of Scripture was completed, the Gnostic Gospels came on the scene denying the deity of Jesus Christ. False teaching has abounded since the very beginning time of Jesus Christ's ministry. But we see continually these false doctrines. And one of the false doctrines that has come on the scene is this idea that we do not need to have a sanctified life the idea that because we were set apart at our time of salvation, there's no need to work out our own salvation. There's just no need to confess or repent of sin, all of which is completely unscriptural. I want you to know that when you got saved, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you have eternal security in Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful for that? But I did not say to my wife on our wedding day, yes, I will marry you with the intention of ignoring her the rest of our marriage. Nor do I have the intention of asking Jesus to be my Savior and then living however I want to live the rest of my Christian life. And here in this passage we see an illustration of this. Joshua said, you know, God is going to do something great tomorrow. He was a courageous, faith-filled leader. And there are churches that need leaders like that today. But he said, before God will do this, we must sanctify ourselves. God is a God that is easily quenched with the presence of sin. The Bible teaches that there is the ministry of the Holy Spirit within each of us. And every relationship generates laws that are consistent to the one with whom we are relating. And there are laws regarding our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. God says the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He lives in us. He wants to speak to us and guide us. And He wants us to listen to Him. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 1 and 14, As obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. God says, I want your lives to be set apart and distinct. And so if you're going to see God's blessing in your life, you must prepare for God's blessing. And you must prepare in the first place through cleansing. Thank God if you're saved, you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But may I say that God speaks to us over and over again about the washing of the water of the word, that God wants you not only to be cleansed on the day that you were saved by the blood of Jesus, he wants you to be cleansed every day by his word. He wants your life to be a life that is so ready that if he wanted you tomorrow to speak to your co-worker or whoever it might be, that you would be a vessel that is sanctified and meet for the master's use, Ephesians 5 and 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Brother Bobby Robertson was one of the greatest Christians I ever knew. Some people of this generation would make fun of him. He did not graduate from the right schools. He was a simple man in some ways. 
but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He built a church that averaged three and 4,000 every Sunday in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He was my friend. And he often said to me, Brother Chapel, I don't have to keep the light burning. I just have to keep the bulb clean. Students, Jesus is the light. If you're saved, he wants to shine through you. But you must sanctify yourself if a great work will be done. You must not think that sin is trivial or that you can allow sin in your life or covetousness or pride and that God will use you in some great way. It is impossible to think that God will use you in some great way with some uh, kind of an attitude filled with pride. There is an inner cleansing. There will be an outer cleansing. Spurgeon said, if you think that you can walk in holiness without keeping up perpetual fellowship with Christ, you have made a great mistake. If you would be holy, you must live close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 and 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yes, you confess your sin to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, but after you're saved when sin comes into your life, you must confess and agree with God that it is sin and repent of it and then seek his power if the great works of God will be done. There must be a preparation through cleansing. Why do you think we give an altar call? To count how many come forward? Just because it's a tradition? No. It is your opportunity to cleanse around the Word of God. To take the Word of God, apply it to your heart. It is your opportunity to become a Joshua, to step out by faith and believe that God can use you in some great way. This past weekend on Sunday night, I preached for Brother Paul Choi, a graduate of West Coast Baptist College, who's planting a church, and uh, uh, he has just celebrated his fifth anniversary. I'm going to ask somehow, Dr. Getch, that we might be able to take our senior men next semester, maybe five a Sunday, uh, not to minister there, but to observe. I think you need to observe a young man who went to the Jordan River. He went to a city not far from here without a fundamental Bible-believing church. He went not knowing uh, what God would do exactly, but he got up early and he identified with the place and he began to knock on doors. He said to his church family Sunday night, as he introduced me, he said, I watched Pastor Chapel at West Coast Baptist College. I watched how he walked to the pulpit. I watched how he preached. I watched how the Lord's table was conducted. I watched the soul winning programs and I involved myself. And he said to the church, what I've been doing here for five years is what I watched happen at Lancaster Baptist Church and at West Coast Baptist College. And you see, he wasn't here to question and he wasn't here uh, to try to find some better way. He was here to learn. And as he gathered there last Sunday night with some uh, 200 folks in that school where they've been renting for five years, and as he brought up family after family that had accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, over $400,000 in the bank looking for land, what is happening there? there there's a great miracle happening in Eastvale because a young man listened to the word of God and a young man has kept his life pure and God is blessing Paul Choi as he is really trusting the Lord, keeping his eyes on Jesus. A church is being planted. Listen to me. It's not about some fancy website or, or some little 
art of worship or some screen or some technology or some newfangled whatever. Listen, he didn't say, uh, I watched 29 websites. He said, I watched the local New Testament church and I'm doing my best to stay pure and right. And Jesus is blessing and building a great work. You've got to sanctify yourself. You've got to keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Prepare through cleansing. Prepare through faith. You see the Lord, he said, he said sanctify yourself, verse 5. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Lord will do wonders among you. I think of the wonders the Lord has done here. I think of just yesterday at the businessmen's luncheon that we conducted. I think of the privilege of ministry. I think of having General Tykert to my left. He was saved here under the preaching many years ago. Think of having Eric Josephson to my right, a stockbroker, a finance investor in our church, who I led to the Lord 23 years ago. I think of having our mayor there at the table and how God's given us such a friendship and how God's used him to bless this ministry here. I think of the others there at the table, businessmen, that I've had the privilege of either leading to the Lord or influencing for God. Uh, I could take the rest of the day to tell you the miracles that God has done in this ministry. $74 million of buildings on this property. Why? Because we've kept our eyes on the Lord and we've been willing over and over again to go to the Jordan and stand at the banks and say, Lord, here we are. We brought the ark like you said, but Lord, we can't part the water. Only you can part the water, God. We've prayed. We've tried to live right and do what you've called us to do. But God, we need another miracle. And that's exactly what will happen in this ministry this coming January and this coming March as we build new college offices and a new children's building and a new weight room for the college and as we develop these facilities and a new walking path around the campus. It will only happen as we stay right with God. And I can't tell you always how God works, but I know if I keep my eyes on Jesus and keep my life clean, God will do something great. Look at, I've had many critics over the years and sometimes very unkind things said about me in the ministry. But preachers, let me tell you something. Something I figured out a long time ago. No one can stop this ministry except me if I get involved in an ungodly lifestyle or should the Lord choose for some reason to stop it? There is no gate of hell that's going to come against this ministry. Jesus Christ has promised, I will build my church. And he's done a great, great work. But I'm asking him to do more. And yet we must purify ourselves. And we must come to the Jordan River. What's your Jordan River? Is it soul winning? Is it a mission field? Is it a local church somewhere? Is it the bus ministry? What is your Jordan River? Don't view this uh, interview days that you've just had as kind of looking for a job. No, no, no. View it as your place to go and believe God to do something great and mighty with your life. You don't want to be just the next staff member. Hey, people come to West Coast to hire staff members because they think you go soul winning. They believe that you believe that God can do something great. I want to challenge you to purify yourself and get to your Jordan and trust God. Oh, I suppose Joshua looked foolish marching around Jericho. Can you believe seven times? I mean, I suppose that looked foolish and 
I suppose Sarah looked foolish buying maternity clothes and at age 90. And I suppose Moses looked foolish when he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And I suppose David looked foolish when he stood up against Goliath. And I suppose the wise men looked foolish when they followed a star to Jesus. I suppose Peter looked foolish when he stepped out of the boat and started walking on the water. And I suppose you looked foolish to somebody when you came to college or when you knock on a door or when you're at that workplace and people are cussing and saying bad jokes and you talk about Jesus. Christ. You look foolish unless you don't talk about Jesus because you don't want to look foolish. But I'm telling you, Joshua looked foolish when he went down to that river. And I've looked foolish more than one time. And I've had people say, how in the world are you going to get the building built? How can we support 200 missionaries? Why are you hiring another staff member? We're barely making it on the budget. How's this going to get done? You may look foolish and I've looked foolish time and time again. But when I look foolish, I find so many times God gets the glory and the honor. You want God to be glorified in your life? Then you better be willing to trust him, even if it means looking foolish, and get down to your Jordan River with a clean heart and trust God to do something great. Notice verse 8 as we close. He says, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water Jordan, ye shall stand still in the Jordan. Look right here, and I'm done. Men in this college, stand up. Would you stand, please, all the men? Many of you have surrendered to preach. Many of you, I pray, will surrender to preach. This world is dying for the lack of truth. Now listen very carefully. Having said everything that I said, the priests had to be willing along with Joshua, not only go to the river, but to walk out in the middle of it. Churches all over America are looking for men that are willing to get to the river and walk out in the middle of it and let God do the rest. What does it mean to walk out in the middle of a river? It means that you're believing God. It means that you're a leader. And it means that you're lifting Jesus high. We need some men of your age group who will lift Jesus high, walk out into the middle of the river with a pure heart, and guess what happens? People follow men of faith with a pure heart. Now you can sit in your car, sneak in your little whatever you like to do when you're off campus, and let your life amount to that much. Or you can purify yourself. And you can get to a river, and you can lead the people out into the river. And hundreds of thousands of people followed the priests, and we need pastors today who will lift Jesus up and lead the way and let God use them. There's a great need. I'm an interim pastor at this church, this is not my church. Someday there will be a man, I hope, a graduate from this college, who will stand into this pulpit. But there are 14,000 independent Baptist churches of whom the greater a majority of them are pastored by baby boomers that are retiring. And the nation is crying out for answers and your generation is stuttering. Well, it could be this, or what about this, or I just don't know about sanctification. You don't know about sanctification because you like your sin.
You show me the man that wants to get on this campus and argue about semantics, and I don't know about sanctification. I think it's legalism. They don't understand. Well, you, friend, I'm just telling you, the man that's saying that likes his sin. But God's not going to use someone that likes their sin. God says, sanctify yourself. For tomorrow, I want to do wonders among you. I can't tell you what it feels like to go to Paul Choi's church. To see one of our graduates leading the singing is just getting a little part-time salary. To see another graduate leading the service and to see people, listen to me, in their 80s saying, this is the greatest preacher we've ever heard. Paul's in his 20s. Some of you think God could never use me. Listen very carefully. He can use any one of you that are willing to purify your heart and get down to the Jordan River and believe him. He wants to use you. And I pray that he will.